Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. On today's episode, I'm going to continue my discussion series, The Wisdom of Flow. Hopefully you've heard the other two episodes. It's based on the book Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I've learned how to pronounce his name at least fairly well. And I don't want to do too much of a review of, of, of Flow, but I think the, the core idea that he's exploring is what is optimal experience for human beings and then how do we achieve it. And he describes optimal experience as, as flow. And he has a whole bunch of explanations that he goes into that I went into the other episode, but it definitely some elements of it are you feel very, uh, you just, you just feel very engaged in a way that is not self-conscious. And often one looks back at it and says, wow, that was awesome. I was totally into that. I didn't even realize that. And that's, that's part of the appeal of it. And then when he polled different people, when he actually had them test what experiences in life are you enjoying most, they were surprised that they were these flow experiences versus maybe say, um, you know, just sitting around on a beach, which that can be done in flow, but it's often done not in, in flow. So the thing I want to reiterate, because today, uh, well, I should say today I want to talk about flow and productivity. And the title of today's specific episode is The Wisdom of Flow, uh, Part 3, Finding Your Flow Zone. So flow zone, I'm sure somebody has made up this term. Flow zone, interestingly, is actually, I think there's a website called Flow Grappling that is a martial arts website. I think they have something called Flow Zone. But what I mean specifically here by Flow Zone is identifying for you what are the specific conditions with your own specific activities that put you in flow. So what I want to do at first is I want to talk about the major components of flow as Csikszentmihalyi talks about them. And then I want to talk about just some of my experiences trying to apply those to the specific kinds of work that I do. And hopefully you will get something from that. And, and I'm guessing this content will spill over into another episode. I only have about 19 more minutes left uh, in this episode just because I have a very tight schedule at the moment. I have a debate coming up next Monday. I've got a, uh, a book deadline, some meetings. So, But I really wanted to get to this, uh, this topic. And actually having a packed schedule lately has helped me discover some things about flow. So to reiterate, the major, and these are all, this is going to be in Csikszentmihalyi's words, the eight major components of flow are, and I'm quoting him directly until I say I'm not, First, the experience usually occurs when we confront tasks we have a chance of completing. Second, we must be able to concentrate on what we are doing. Third and fourth, the concentration is usually possible because the task undertaken has clear goals and provides immediate feedback. Fifth, one acts with a deep but effortless involvement that removes from awareness the worries and frustrations of everyday life. Sixth, Enjoyable experiences allow people to exercise a sense of control over their actions. Seventh, concern for the self disappears, yet paradoxically the sense of self emerges stronger after the flow experience is over. Finally, the sense of dur the duration of time is altered. Hours pass by in minutes, and minutes can stretch out to seem like hours. The combination of all these elements causes a sense of deep enjoyment that is so rewarding people feel that spend expending a great deal of energy is worthwhile simply to be able to feel it. End quote. 
and another one more addition he has on the type of activity that generates this, which is going to relate to the discussion of getting in the flow zone. Quote, by far the overwhelming proportion of optimal experiences are reported to occur within sequences of activities that are goal-directed and bounded by rules, activities that require the investment of psychic energy and that could not be done without the appropriate uh, skills. So I just want to uh, share with you, and I hope this is useful. I'm not 100% sure how useful it will be, but I think often sharing my own applications is useful and people can, because you see certain nuances in application that you can then apply uh, to yourself. But I am going to discuss this issue of flow and, and what the specific requirements of flow, what, what I'm discovering gets me into flow for the specific things uh, that I do. And there will be a range of things. So I'll start out with an interesting thing, which is the experience of debating, which I've been thinking about recently, because I have a debate next Monday with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who has obviously a, a famous name. He's uh, kind of a leading environmental figure, and he's actually married, interestingly, to uh, the the TV wife of Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is a show that I often find uh, very funny. So he's married to, to Cheryl Hines. And so we are debating about the future of fossil fuels. And it's been really interesting preparing for the debate and thinking about what a debate is like in the context of um, flow. So one thing I've been just talking about the experience of a debate first, the the thinking about flow has caused me to think about, okay, when in different debates and public appearances have I felt like I'm in flow? And then when have I felt like I'm out of flow? And I realized something interesting because my my previous way of thinking of it was, which has something to it, but it's too superficial, is I would say, well, I really like extemporaneous speaking and I hate reading a prepared statement. So... Uh, I would think, well, I, I'm flowing when I can just be extemporaneous and I don't feel flow when I'm just reading something off a piece of paper. And that's, mo that's, that's true. But then I also was thinking as I'm preparing for this debate, I've had experiences before where I was extemporaneous and yet I wasn't particularly comfortable. And I thought about, well, what, what's going on there? And I thought, well, the situations where I'm not particularly comfortable have been often where I gave myself an assignment of being too extemporaneous. That is, I said, well, I'm just going to respond in the moment to what the person says, but I'm going to respond in a way where I make my case and I address their case fully. And upon reflection, what I realized is this is not a doable assignment. It's not a doable assignment, at least for me, to if, when somebody says in a debate, you know, somebody says 50 things that you think are distortions and they bring up all these issues. It is at least within my ability. It's not in my ability to at least when it, in it for an extended period of time. So if I have a 10 minute or 15 minute statement, it's not in my ability to just take what somebody else says and then in the moment compose a perfect response. Because part of the problem is there are so many considerations involved that if I don't have a clear basic agenda myself, or if I don't make certain choices, then in the moment what's going to happen is I'm going to be torn among, hey, which do I address first? What do I cover first? Hey, this, this thought occurs to me. Uh, should I say this? And it's what I find is it's too much 
I'm trying to figure out too much in the moment. And so this relates to the issue of, of you need to have the appropriate skills. And so I realized that in certain situations, I flow extemporaneously when I have the appropriate skills. So one one kind of extreme is I'm doing something that doesn't take any skill, which is reading a statement, or at least it takes some skill, but it's not the kind of skill I like exercising. And so I don't feel particularly comfortable, although I guess I could make that a flow activity. But on the other side, if I give myself an activity that's too difficult, my so-called like of extemporaneous things becomes, uh, it, it starts to disappear because it's, I've given myself something that's that's too difficult to do. So what it's really made me think about in speaking is setting things up so that I have enough of an agenda, so that I have a basic plan that I can work with. And then what I find is I have the, the, the affinity and the skills to adjust in the moment, but with having a basic framework. And another thing I notice is that once I've given a basic framework, I have a lot of ability to adjust in the moment in terms of Q&A, but I need to have figured out in advance, okay, here's my basic agenda, and then I can be uh, adaptable in, um, in the moment. So this is, I find this, it just, it makes, it makes such a difference in terms of in terms of having the the experience be enjoyable, because if I, I realize if I create tasks that are really too difficult for me, that's not going to be enjoyable and it's not going to be successful. Another, let's see, do I go into writing or I was? I hope this thought doesn't escape my mind. But I was thinking with um, with the preparation of it. This is going to relate to writing too. But I'm finding with the preparation of things that sometimes my default will be well, I want to just start from scratch and I want to tr create a totally new thing that's unprecedented for me. And so if I'm thinking about an opening statement for a debate, then I'll think, yeah, I'm just going to, like, I know more now than I used to, so I'm just going to try from scratch to create the ultimate uh, thing. But then I'll think, well, I'd already have a lot of experience, so this thing should be immediately better than all of my other things. And this is this is not a realistic or a possible goal, at least not with frequency, because the thing is that the things that, while I may have new ideas that could be better overall, the advantage of previous things I've done is that they've been worked out over time and they've been tested and had the kinks worked out of them. And thus, um, they they're going to be at a quality level in many ways that my first my first attempt at something can't match. So if I decide, hey, I want to do something totally new, then to be in flow and to be successful, I have to acknowledge this is going to be a sequential process where I have to do many iterations and the first ones will almost certainly not be as good as the previous things. But if I don't recognize the limits of my skills and the nature of the activity, then it's going to be uh, frustrating. This is what I was finding. I would have an idea and think, oh, I just want to do this totally new thing. This is a great idea. And then I'd work it out and I would find, oh, wait, there are problems with the execution of this idea, which is that's kind of obvious that that'll happen. But I had had this impossible goal. And so it 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 ultimately made a flow experience and a successful experience uh, quite, um, quite difficult. And because of that, then when I think about it, it puts a much higher burden on hey, I want to do something totally new. And often I'll think, well, I'll, let me start out with, let's look at the best things that I've done and then figure out, okay, what can I do that's maybe an improvement on those and an, inc 
that's an incremental improvement. And then maybe I'll work that out to my satisfaction. And then if I have some new idea, yeah, then I get to play with that and maybe roll the dice and, and test it out in, um, you know, in some sort of practice situation, but don't don't create a situation where I'm saying I have to create something new and unprecedented and great and without major problems on a very, very uh, quick timetable. So I, a lot of this comes down to identifying a goal that's challenging and achievable and that recognizing it recognizes one's skills and that doesn't that doesn't just leave them to do nothing. That doesn't that that isn't boring, but it also doesn't lead to this uh, impossibility. the The biggest area where I've been thinking about flow lately is in working on uh, my book, which I'm calling "The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels 2.0." I wrote "The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels," or it came, I wrote it in 2014, and it came out in late 2014, and that's been a really fascinating experience including certain difficulties. And one thing I've noticed, one thing I'm really learning about that ha relates to my flow zone and my productivity is, it, and this I think will be different for different people, but for me, thinking about flow and just working on this project has changed my own perception of the relationship, like my ideal relationship with writing and outlining. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of outlines. I love writing where it has a really clean and intricate outline where you can say, okay, at a high level, here are the five points. And then under those points, there are key points and they all just, they all just flow together and work well. And I really, if I write something, I want something to have an intricate outline that you can really follow. I don't want it to just be kind of random things or semi-random things and transitions. And there's no really clear underlying uh, logic to it. But what I've been doing with my second book was I was trying to outline to come up with the perfect outline before working on writing and revision because I thought, well, I know this material well and like I want it to be really intricate and I want it to be more persuasive and more logical than the previous version. So what I'm going to do is uh, like I, I'm going to get all the outline perfect and then that'll make the writing uh, easy. But at least for me, and I think this is, is generally true, uh, I am not capable of coming up, working out the full final outline before I write. What I find is that I'm good at, it's good for me to have a clear theme and a clear initial outline. And then what I do is, so that's my overall plan, my high level plan. And then when I write with that, what I often, as I discover certain things, I'll discover, oh, certain things are important and I wanted to say this and I didn't expect to say it, so I write that and then certain things aren't working. And then when I read what I wrote, I can do what's called reverse outline. I can I can look at the structure and I can then fix the structure. And after a while, what happens is when I'm editing, I do this very detailed outlining and reverse outlining and it ends up being incredibly valuable. So I will have you know, several levels to the outline of my book and it's super valuable, but it's valuable as an editing tool. And what I was finding is that I was giving myself this task of outlining it perfectly that I wasn't experiencing flow on a lot because it would just be overwhelming. I couldn't hold in my mind all the complexities of the outline of the book before I was writing or rewriting uh, what I had in mind. So it's another case where I was giving myself an assignment that wasn't possible for me to do. And thus it was, it was causing, 
uh, a lot of difficulty. And I think that uh, is again, it's it's finding what for for me specifically what process and what type of assignment is going to break things up into chunks that are are doable by me and that make a lot of my skills, but that are not that are not impossible for me, uh, given my current skills. And and in general, what I find is that over time, this means I, I focus much more on an iterative approach where I'm, I'm creating multiple passes of things. So, and, and I'm breaking them up into different chunks. So that means I'm not expecting to, when I write the thing, write it perfectly the first time or the second time, I'm just saying, okay, your first goal is just write this out. And it's usually write it out often for me it's like write it out as if you were explaining it to somebody in the moment you're trying to give them a coherent explanation and so i think of it as okay this has to be coherent so i don't want to just write gibberish or just kind of write to write i want to write as if i'm actually talking to somebody or as if they're actually reading it but part of that is if i feel something is necessary to say and it wasn't in the outline write it out and then i can revisit it later and then i find okay a good next assignment is i will i will read it uh, through, but I'll read it through from the perspective of the high-level outline. Is this good? And then I can read it from the perspective of the more detailed outline. And then I can re-outline it, and then I can uh, rewrite it. And I think this is commonly done in software and in product development, where people, they do one iteration of something, and then they learn a lot from that iteration. And then they do uh, another iteration. And this this general process I've actually discussed a bunch in the set of podcasts about the 80%, uh, which I highly recommend listening to. But the interesting thing about 80% is, so this means talking about thinking in terms of I'm going to do a version of whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do a version of it to 80% what I perceive of as 80% of my potential. And that eliminates a lot of perfectionism and procrastination. And the idea is once I do it to 80%, then I myself will learn a lot about the project. And so my next, if I do it again to 80%, that will probably be better than 100% would have been originally, and it'll take a lot less time. Plus, I can bring in other people to help me who could look at my first 80% and then make their own 80% effort and then improve it. So that's the idea of 80%, and it's a very iterative approach. And one of my good friends, uh, Keith Schacht, whom uh, we, we talk pretty frequently is the founder of a really cool company you should check out called mystery.org or you can probably also see it at mysteryscience.com it's this very cool education company particularly for uh, making it very easy for any teacher to teach uh, science really good science lessons to students anyway Keith he won when I did the 80% when I talked to him about that he said okay how, how does that apply to your book and my basic response was well it doesn't really apply to my book because I really want my book to be perfect so I'm just going to work out the outline perfectly and now I think oh god I wish I had I had really given a better answer to that question because it's that it was thinking like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to do, um, even if I was thinking of the outline iteratively, the outline wasn't, it wasn't like having that intricate an outline wasn't a good iteration because it wasn't something that I could really do, uh, at once without doing the writing. So one more example, one more uh, example of getting in the flow zone in, in a different kind of category, which I'm, I'm, and this is another thing I've talked about, but I'm talking about it now from the perspective of flow, which is time blocking. So I'm a very big advocate of time blocking, which is, there are a couple of senses of it, but one is for different categories of life. Say, 
I have X amount of time usually at this specific time. So I'll have, I have from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. for writing, for book writing time. And that is, that's what I do during that time. And even if I feel behind, I don't get to extend that during the day because I have other things during the day. So then I have to somehow make it up on the next day or somehow plan it in the future. But this, this five hours is for working on the book and, and that's it. And at the moment I have a book, I have a debate, I've got, uh, a cool project that hopefully you'll learn about in the next uh, couple of weeks, which I can't talk about right now. And then I have a consulting business and I have speaking and arguably too much going on. And that's a subject for another day. But at least what I, what I have developed a very refined ability to do is to time block things so that when I'm working on them, I can forget about everything else and I can do really good work on them even if I only have an hour of time uh, to work on them. So I'm finding that, and so that's part of, for, for me, is flow, is that the there are conditions where this is the only thing that I'm working on. And one small tip that I got on this that is really, it is profound but simple, and I, I got it from, I was watching a, part of the interview of Tim Ferriss and Neil Gaiman, an author. And I uh, I thought Gaiman was really impressive in terms of his, many of his answers, although I haven't read much of anything uh, he's written. But he just said his main rule for writing was during writing time, you don't have to write, uh, but you're just not allowed to do anything else. So he's allowed to write or he's allowed to do nothing, but no checking anything, no communicating with people. And then what happens is he, he gets bored and then he just decides, okay, I guess I guess I want to write right now. If he's ever feeling resistance, which many writers do. I'm, I think I'm fortunate I don't feel that much, but I still have found this very useful to just say, okay, yeah, if I need a break, that's totally fine. And for me, my modification is I've talked on the show about Seinfeld nap, so I know the show Seinfeld so well that if I just listen to it, I can take a really rejuvenating nap, and for whatever reason, I wake up refreshed at the end of the 22 minutes. So if I feel uh, fatigued or you know I'm over, uh, like I'm overthinking about the book, that's great. I just take a Seinfeld nap, but then I, that's all I'm allowed to do, and I don't, I don't, I'm not that eager to listen to episodes I've already heard ten times before. That it's it's a distraction. But it's it's my form of yeah. If I need some rejuvenation, uh, I can do that. But no, you know, no looking at jujitsu websites, which is a particular uh, distraction of mine. So this is a different different category. This this time blocking and this within time blocking. This rule of you can do the thing. You don't have, but you don't have to do the thing. But you have to do the thing or nothing. But it's I'm now thinking of these things from the perspective of okay, how do I get in my flow zone? The biggest thing is probably having the goal that is activating my skills, but not overtaxing my skills or not impossible for me. That is probably the biggest thing, but there are uh, plenty of other aspects as well. And I'll be interested to know from uh, listeners to the show, what thoughts do you have about how you get in the flow zone for your specific activities? And feel free to, to share the details of your activities, because I often find it useful to hear how somebody applies something to a specific thing, even if I don't do the thing, and then I can, I can imagine how it applies to my own work. So that is the show for today, The Wisdom of Flow Part 3. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can message me at alex at alexepstein.com. No response promised, but I will read it and do appreciate it. If you want to uh, participate in the discussion about the show, go to facebook.com slash human flourishing project. And if you want weekly updates or bi-weekly updates, usually about when the show comes out, go to humanflourishingproject.com and enter in your email. That's it for this week. I wish you a week of flow in your creation and in your recreation, and I wish myself one as well. Uh, okay, that's it for this week. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. Oh, I will, I will talk to you guys probably in two weeks. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project.